You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Munawar, and today we are talking to Philip Morgan about positioning and specialization. Philip is a specialization coach for software developers, and he's also the author of the Positioning Manual for Technical Firms. I asked Philip to come on the show to share his own specialization journey, but also to share some advice for anyone who's struggling to make that move from generalist to specialist. This is a topic that we don't talk nearly enough about. It is really hard to move from a generalist to a specialist position because it's scary, and often the benefits of doing so are counterintuitive. Philip's story will definitely help you wrap your head around why specialization is so powerful. Plus, you'll get some practical tips on how you can find that specialization sweet spot for your business. To grab the show notes, head over to forecast.fm slash philip. That's forecast.fm slash p-h-i-l-i-p. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, you can do so in one of three ways. Head over to forecast.fm slash iTunes if you're on iTunes forecast.fm slash Google if you're on Google Play, or if you're old-fashioned like me and you like getting this stuff delivered to your inbox, head over to forecast.fm slash newsletter to get on our weekly email newsletter. With that, here is Philip. Philip, thank you so much for coming on the show. Ahmad, I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Listen, why don't you kick things off here by giving us the two-minute Philip Morgan story? You know, I, I really sucked at working for myself, which was hilarious because I just thought it was so easy to run your own business. So, you know, in 2008, when I got laid off from this little marketing agency I worked for, I was like, oh my God, I will never make all the mistakes I saw that guy make. I will never have this one (laughs) big whale client. I will never, never, never. And then I just proceeded to do every single thing (laughs) that I criticized. I mean, I didn't criticize him to his face, but just, you know, secretly I was like, "Mm, that's not how you run a business. Well, I did the exact same stuff. And so I kind of sucked at working for myself for a while. Worked as a sort of marketing writer, technical writer. About two or three years ago, decided on the urging from you know, like people I respected to consider the idea of specializing. And I did. It totally changed my business. And I got so excited about how dramatically helpful it was for me that I wrote a book about it called The Positioning Manual for Technical Firms and have sort of slowly shifted my business to helping others make a similar transition. So I don't know. I'm I'm kind of debating changing what I call myself. Like the way I introduce myself may change based on this. I'm thinking I may start calling myself a specialization coach for self-employed software developers, because that's really who I focus on as software developers. What do you call yourself now? Well, I have called myself sort of a marketing consultant. And then I will quickly say, you know, I help software development shops start getting more leads by using things like positioning and content marketing and so forth. But really, as I've become more and more interested in just this single issue of specialization, I actually don't really have an appropriate title for myself. So that's why I'm thinking about changing what I call myself. So tell me a little bit more about your specialization journey in terms of what you were doing before and then how you decided to specialize and and what you chose your area of focus to be. I'm trying to think if prior to 
you know, getting an understanding of how beneficial specializing can be. I'm trying to think if I ever said no to, to anything that I was offered in terms of client work. Mm-hmm. And I really, I swear, I just, I can't think of a time I ever said no. So I would do anything that anybody would hire me to do. I mean, I wouldn't dig a ditch, but I would do, I'd, I'd write web copy. I would create instructional content. That was one of the things I had a little bit of experience with. I would create, you know, e-learning. I would write a, a piece of a manual for like a piece of software. Like I would do anything that involved writing because how I thought of myself was I'm a writer. Mm. Like that's kind of how I identified what I did in the world. Do so you define yourself by the trade, by yep. the craft? Um, exactly. The skill set, the craft, the discipline, the tools that you use. Those are all like ways that people do what I was doing. And Actually, I think we all, as sometimes reluctant business owners, kind of start out there thinking about ourselves in terms of our skills. But for me, that I just was never very successful doing things that way. Yeah, I mean, it's a natural place to start, right? I'm good at doing these things. People tend to pay money for these things. So why don't I charge them money so I can do these things, right? (laughs) Exactly. And on top of that, I think we're sort of trained to think about ourselves that way by HR departments. So what I mean is if an HR department or a company is going to try to hire an employee, that's how they're going to kind of frame the job listing is based on the skills you need to have, the amount of experience you need to have with those things. And I guess they'll often also list like the responsibilities and personality characteristics they're looking for, like must be a team player, you know, stuff like that. Right. But it kind of revolves around skills, right? So I think we're actually trained to do that quite a bit by how HR departments try to find job candidates. So was there a particular moment in your journey where you realized, you know what, this generalist approach is just not going to work anymore? So many moments that kind of all add up to a painful memory of like, wow, I'm just not very good at this. Like why, you know, when I put up a website that describes what I do, don't I get leads from that website or Why, when I introduce myself to people, don't they say, oh, my gosh, you've got to meet so-and-so because they need exactly that sort of result that you create. So it wasn't like a a moment on the calendar with a red circle around the date as much as it was just kind of a period of time that I look back on and say, well, that just, at least for me, did not work. And uh, there's got to be something, some other way to do it. I guess it might be the moment when I started polishing up my resume, (laughs) (laughs) which I know that the other self-employed people out there can probably identify with that moment when you're like, "Ah, I don't know, maybe I should pull out that resume, bring it up to date and start sending it around and see, see what happens. If, I don't know, if, 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 you're you if you're self-employed and you haven't done that, I have no respect for you. Yeah, you, you haven't lived as a self-employed <laughs> like person. Like, we, so we can't be friends. You've been like, <laughs> what folder did I put the resume in? And, oh, man, it's just, it feels like the uh, the precursor to defeat to do that. It just feels terrible. But, yeah, I think you're right. It's a bit of a rite of passage. So how did the specialization process look like for you? Was it like, I'm just going to do this from now on? Or was it more of an iterative process? It has been an iterative process. At first, it was, I'm going to choose to focus on the the audience that I have the most experience with. So when I was not working for myself, I was always doing something like system administration work, or there was actually a whole other segment where I was doing training work, but it was training system administrators. So like back in the 
late 90s, I was an MCSE and a Microsoft certified trainer. So I was doing a lot of you know work around helping people acquire technical skills. So that's always, in a way, been the sort of context that I've been inside of. So for me, it was very natural to say, well, I will try to, you know, the clients that I want to attract are software development shops. They tend to, unless they are uh, not doing that well, they tend to have better margins and they just seemed like a more attractive client to start with. And also, they tend to struggle with marketing because it's a sort of language that's a little difficult for them to speak at first. I know I'm making like, huge generalizations here, but in general, that was how I perceive software development shops as a potential client. So that was the first sort of axis or dimension of specialization is who am I going to focus on? And the second was, what am I going to do for them? Am I going to do anything and everything for them? And in fact, I, I mean, in terms of marketing, that really was what I started out doing is saying, I'm going to focus on software development shops and I'm going to provide them any kind of you know, marketing service they want to hire me to do, which turned out to be things like you know, creating content marketing articles, writing web copy, that sort of thing. And that sounds kind of like a natural progression. You first, you specialized in terms of the audience and the clients, and then I suppose it took you some time to really wrap your head around what their needs are before you had a more specialized offering for that audience. Yep. And in fact, that's, I think, almost always the progression. When someone's a generalist, their focus, and this was true for me, and it's true for most of the people I speak with, their focus is on themselves. Like, what are my skills? What's my craft? Do I think, you know, Adobe Illustrator is better than Sketch. <laughs> you know, do I think this one, do I think Rails is better than Python? Like those are the kind of top of mind questions and what seem like important issues if you're a generalist. And I think that's fine, actually. To me, it's just the first step, though, in a longer progression towards having something of extraordinary value to offer your clients. And, you know, your skill as a craftsperson is the beginning of that. And the first question then is like, once you kind of stop looking at your own belly button and start thinking about, well, how can I create, you know, value for clients that would be so compelling that they would be willing to look outside of Upwork and outside of Fiverr and they would actually be willing to pay a premium price? Like, how do I do that? The first question you have to answer is, who am I going to focus on? Because, you know, what creates value, even in the world of software development for like a yoga studio is in, entirely different than what creates value for a shipping company. Like there's no way that you could really convincingly market yourself to those two incredibly different audiences. So I think, I really think the first question you have to ask is who am I going to focus on serving? Was there anything in particular that held you back from coming to that realization earlier, that that, that was the audience that you needed to focus on? Absolutely. Yeah. For me, it was thinking, I think now, wrongly, but at the time thinking my flexibility and my diversity is a huge asset to my clients. Like they can hire me to write a white paper and then if they need some e-learning produced, which, you know, I don't know if this is apparent to the folks at home listening, but those are two very different things. Yeah. Even though they both involve creating content or writing or what have you, they're they're just actually very different. So my thinking was my flexibility, my ability to do lots of different things is an asset to my clients. And, you know, I think there might be some cases where that's true. So I'm not saying that's universally false. 
But at the same time, it, it makes marketing what you do so difficult. <laughs> it just makes it so difficult because what ends up happening is you kind of start talking about yourself in a way that I think makes most people feel uncomfortable because you start sort of trying to portray yourself as some sort of renaissance person mm. uh, or some sort of like, I don't know, just some kind of genius. And I think that honestly, deep down, if people are honest, that makes them uncomfortable. And we most we tend to realize that, you know, the people who are the best brain surgeons don't also claim to be the best. I don't know what some other specialty, <laughs> you know, the best eye doctors it, to really, truly achieve mastery of something. You have to focus on just that one thing. It's not that you can't, you know, have knowledge of other things or have interests in other things. I'm just saying where you focus on becoming the best really does need to be, I think, narrowed down to just one topic or one problem or one type of business that you work with. So, so there's really two sides to the specialization argument, right? The first is what you're saying is the marketing. That I means it's just hard for people to remember somebody who's a jack of all trades because, well, what would they remember you for if it's not specific? Yeah, especially if you don't have a lot of time to sort of create that first impression. You know, if you, somebody spent a weekend hanging out with you, that's different. But right. if you just have one sort of brief moment to become memorable to someone who's never met you, you do not want to go broad. <laughs> you really yeah. don't because they're just not going to remember you. And part of being memorable is being very specific about something, something that matters to that person. So what would matter to them is if they could connect you with somebody else and sort of, you know, build up their social capital by connecting somebody they know who has a problem with you, the solution. That's one way that you could be memorable. And the other is just not giving them a lot of detail to confuse their uh, remembrance of you, just to being very clear and simple and specific about what it is you do. Right. So if I come across Philip Morgan, the specialization coach for technical services firms, and I'm a technical services firm, but I don't really think I need a specialization coach, but hey, it looks interesting. And then I move on with my day. And then, you know, a month later, two months later, I'm really feeling the pain of working with all these different clients on different kinds of projects and the inefficiencies that come with that. And I think to myself, hey, remember that guy, Philip, the specialization coach? Maybe I should give him a call. That's the benefit of being specific, right? I think so, yeah. And I think there's enough evidence to demonstrate that for sure. You know, there was, I, I've told this story a number of times, but I think it's interesting enough to repeat. I was just sitting out in front of Whole Foods. My wife and I share a car, so she was, I'd done the shopping. She was coming to pick me up. And this guy asked me to help him with his phone. He was an older guy. I helped him with his phone. And then he just kept me you know, kind of hung out and we were talking a little bit and he started telling me about this procedure he'd had done to his hand. He had a condition and he told me the medical name of it, which I did not remember at the time. And then he told me the sort of colloquial name for it, which is Vikings, Viking hand. It's this condition where the like the tendons in your hand contract so you can't open your hand fully. And mm -hmm. I think it's both painful and sort of restricts your ability to use your hand so he went to see some specialist. He told me that the specialist was located uh, here in the Bay Area, south of where I live. And the specialist was located in a place called Larkspur. And then later, I was after this conversation, I was like, hmm, I wonder if I could find that specialist just because, I mean, that's the sort of the thing I do is help people specialize. So I did a Google search for Viking hand to figure out the actual medical term for it, which is, 
I now have memorized because I've told the story a number of times. It's called <laughs> the Duperin's Contracture. And, and then I searched for Duperin's Contracture and the word Larkspur and then the word specialist. And I had not remembered, again, the name of this, this specialist, but boom, right there, the first result on Google was this clinic in Larkspur that specializes in treating this condition. So specialists are memorable, even if you actually don't remember every little detail. Like if you, if someone heard this interview and then like a month later, like they're like, who was this guy? And they just search for the word Philip and the word positioning. I'd be all over the front page of Google for just that search. So just to add to what we were saying, specialists are more easily discoverable because of how focused they are. And if their online presence reflects that, then they also tend to be more easily discoverable through things like Google search and so forth. What's kind of the specialization sweet spot, if you will? Because like a lot of folks, they, they see the argument for specialization, but there's this fear of, well, how do I know when I'm specialized enough? And when is too much specialization no longer a good thing? Well, the classic consulting answer is it depends. <laughs> and it really does because there are cases where just as a small amount of specialization, like choosing a market vertical to focus on. So if you're a software developer and you um, you know have a reasonable level of access to some market vertical, like I'm thinking of somebody named Connie who I worked with about a year ago, and she had sort of extra amount of access to yoga studios and she builds websites. So she focused on yoga studios. And for her, that was that was plenty because it gave her this immediate sort of advantage over every other web developer who is not specialized in the same way. There wasn't a lot of competition for other specialist, you know, web developers who focused on yoga studios. So in her case, that was enough. Like that was all she really needed to do. There certainly are instances where someone will do that. They'll pick a market vertical. And then as they spend more time working in that market vertical, they'll start to realize, oh, you know, the really, the thing that clients will pay a lot of money for is this thing. And so they'll, they'll further specialize what they offer. So they'll sort of specialize their service offerings to just focus on the high profit stuff or the most interesting stuff or the thing that, you know, is maybe is most common. So they have a better flow of leads coming in. So there's different ways you can specialize other than picking a target market. You would be specialized too much if the market was too small, which is very hard to do for a solo person. But in larger companies, you know, with let's say they've got, a, you know, 50, 100 people on the payroll, it's certainly possible that they could pick a market that's too small that can't really support them. If you are specialized in something nobody cares about, <laughs> that's not really specializing too much. That's specializing in the wrong way. And then finally, if specializing doesn't really actually allow you to create more value for your clients, then it, it may be a case of specializing too much. Like if you're like, well, I will only help you select the fonts for your website. Like I'm thinking about <laughs> maybe like a designer who says, that's how I want to specialize. I love fonts. I will only specialize in that. That's probably going too far. Like you've passed the sort of peak of the curve of being able to maximize the value that you create for clients. Right. So on one end of the spectrum, you're the jack of all trades that does mm -hmm. everything for the client, which has a certain convenience factor for sure for the client, Sure. Um, even if it diminishes your rates. And the other end of the spectrum, it's I'll help you choose your fonts. So now when you're building out a website, you need a designer, a developer and a font guy. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, six different specialists just to 
just to get a website designed, not even get it built. So that's almost certainly going too far. So it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you're advocating here is a a market-driven approach first. And then once you have a clear market focus, then you could choose to, if, if it makes sense, and if there's value in it for you and the client, to focus on a specific set of services within that market. I think that's a pretty good way to summarize it. I've seen a few cases where people sort of create their own market. That is rare and difficult to achieve. But that is another, I think of Anne McIndoo, who at some point started calling herself an author coach. So she was specializing, not just saying I'm a, a coach, but I'm a coach specifically for authors. And I, as far as I know, she was the first person to start doing that. And so she, in a way, she sort of created her own market and other people followed. Like there's now other people who call themselves an author coach. So you can't do that, but it's not something I would recommend for everybody. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Well, so, well, <laughs> so, so yeah, the way you characterize things is generally the way it's, it's best to do it. I'm curious what the exceptions are to that. And I'm thinking of, just as an example, like a copywriter. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have a copywriter that specializes in sales pages and they can do that for, I mean, not anybody, but a, a number of different verticals. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, that's almost a bit more of a horizontal specialization. Although most copywriters do find it may be a handful of verticals where they're most at home because copywriting is something where you do need to know a lot about the specifics of a particular market. So a copywriter who knows how to sell industrial machinery through sales copy is probably not going to hit a home run their first time trying to sell, you know, beauty products to individuals. So you, you see what I mean? So my point is you can have that kind of specialization that cuts across multiple market verticals. That's also an option for people. But what I'm talking about where you sort of create your own market is a little more, I don't know if you've read the book, Blue Ocean Strategy. Yeah. But that kind of articulates the idea that you can open up a new market by having some very keen insight into what a group of people want but is not available for them. Mm. And, you know, in the world of products where you're dealing with you know, higher volume, higher scale. I think that's a little easier to pull off than the world of professional services. Although if, you know, if day in and day out, some people were just, you know, saying to you, gosh, man, I just wish there was someone who is a coach who specialized in social media addiction, <laughs> then mm. it might make sense for you to be the first coach who specializes in social media addiction. But what I'm saying is that it's risky to do that, to try to predict the emergence of a new market and demand for some kind of specialized services that have never existed before. But people do pull it off. And those people tend to be already sort of connected with that market in some other way. Yeah, they, they likely already have a profile that they're piggybacking off of to make to take that step. Yep. And they have a lot of data and evidence that says, okay, I can feel it. You know, I can sense the demand here. So that's the direction I'm going to move in. So again, I just I try to be very careful not to encourage people to do stuff that's going to be more difficult, you know, bite off more than they can chew. And specializing in a market that doesn't yet exist and being the first to market is, it works for some people, but it really, it's a special case. Yeah, that makes sense. Philip, what are some of the common mistakes that you see people making here when it comes to specialization and positioning? Well, most people... Is it bad to say they don't trust me? Is that a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> I have the same complaint. <laughs> Here's what I really mean. 
most people actually don't know what it's like to be a specialist, to be a successful specialist. Not a lot of us actually know firsthand specialists. And I think that causes us to just not have a mental model for what it looks like and how it works. And so I think the first mistake people make is to apply a sort of broken mathematics to how this would work. So they think, okay, I've worked with 10 different types of clients. I'm going to pick one of those types of clients and focus on that. And so some part of them assumes that it's going to reduce their business by 90%. Mm. When in reality, what happens is you become more appealing to that 10%. And so more of those types of clients find you and seek you out or are referred to you and hire you. So there's, you know, just that simple math of like, I'm going to take X percent of my current client base and over time, get rid of the rest, not overnight, but over a period of time, maybe a year or two, and start to focus on just this, you know, X percent of my current client base. And you think that it's this tiny little thing, but it opens up when you get inside of it. I joke that niches are bigger on the inside because they really are. Like once you get into them, you start to realize, oh, there's this company I never heard of that does that. And now they would be a potential client and people introduce you to their colleagues within the same vertical. So that's the first mistake is just sort of underestimating the opportunity because you don't know how to really accurately see it. I mean, very few people go too narrow. I can say that's not a common mistake. (laughs) Most people are like terrified to do this in the first place. So going too narrow is not generally a problem. I think the the other thing I see people do in practice is they will sort of agree, okay, this is the focus. This is the ideal client. And then they'll sort of hold back when it comes to execution. When I say execution, I mean like starting to market to that client, they'll sort of hold back or kind of undermine their own effectiveness by being, I don't want to say half-assed about it, but uh, just being too reserved about it. So I see this sometimes, and I totally understand it. It's, It's sort of human nature, I think, to hedge your bets sometimes when you're doing something new and risky that may involve embarrassment or bankruptcy or (laughs) any number of outcomes that are painful. It's sort of human nature to hold back, but that's when you don't want to hold back is when you're trying to be clear about who it is you're serving. I feel like the opportunity cost angle is something that people overlook way too often, right? If, If I've got, you know, three clients to choose from and, you know, Two of them are in, let's say, the healthcare space, and and one of them is in the e-commerce space. And I want to become known for, you know, whatever my service is in the healthcare space. It's so much more powerful for me to have three client testimonials and three referrals and three case studies from the healthcare space than to have two from healthcare and then one from e-commerce. It's not just the revenue that you're you're giving up, but it's the credibility, it's the referral, the testimonial, the case study, and all the goodwill that comes with that. Yeah, one of the things I've again, somewhat cautiously said is that you just really can't make a mistake when it comes to specializing because you can change your mind later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I feel like almost any choice is better than no choice at all because there is, you know, you talked about opportunity cost and one of the ways that manifests is over your lifetime as a self-employed person, you're leaving money on the table if you're not specializing. You know, if you're struggling to get 100 bucks an hour as a software developer, you should know that there are people who do not struggle to get $100 an hour who get, 
you know, much more like 300 to a thousand dollars an hour. Now they're probably not charging hourly. You know, no one's ever seeing an invoice that says a thousand dollars an hour for PHP development, mm-hmm. but by discovering the kind of problems that have a lot of value and leverage within the business, they can use, you know, design solutions, technology solutions, marketing solutions to create a lot of value and charge appropriately for it. So that's really what you're missing out on, I think, is the ability to do that. Again, it's not an overnight thing. It's not like, oh, I can specialize. Now I can triple my rates arbitrarily. It's not like that. It is a process, but missing out on expertise, I think, is it just has a like over time, it really takes away money that you could be earning. I mean, it doesn't take it away. You just don't get it, get access to it. But still, to me, that's part of the opportunity cost. Philip, where can folks go to learn more from you about specialization and positioning? I would send them to positioningcrashcourse.com because they can check out the email course I have there. They can see if this makes sense to them in a little more detailed fashion and just kind of dip a toe into the idea without having to commit anything. And I feel like that's a good starting point is to go to positioncrashcourse.com. Excellent. We'll drop that in the show notes to this episode. Philip, this has been incredibly insightful and an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You bet. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.